you know what to do. Like, you know what problem you want to go solve. Just get passionate as hell about doing that and stop getting distracted by, hey, look at my value. All that's going to do is distract you. Like, stay committed to the mission and run and your team's going to follow. Bonjour, bonjour, bonjour. I am super duper, even super duper duper excited today because I have a Dave Wessinger joining me on the Afternoon Tea Podcast. Dave, before we get into the nitty gritty and the yap yaps, let me just set this up if you please. In the year 2000, Dave Wessinger co-founded Point Click Care with his brother, Mike. Together, they pioneered healthcare's digital transformation and drove improved outcomes for seniors and care teams through technology. Today, Point Click Care boasts one of Canada's most admired corporate cultures with over 1,500 employees who currently serve over 26,000 care providers, establishing point-click care as the largest cloud-based healthcare platform in North America. Dave has earned recognition for the foresight and innovation that helps thousands reimagine the way technology can be used to communicate, collaborate, and improve care across the healthcare continuum. Dave, thank you for letting me say the word continuum, but thank you so much for joining me here today on the <laughs> Afternoon Tea Podcast. Is that okay if I laugh? That was an amazing oh. intro. Thank you for oh. that. Well, I do, I, I do my best because you know what? We have amazing guests like yourself and you deserve an amazing intro. Um, but you know what? Just from saying that, I realized point click care is a very difficult thing to say. Do you guys have an internal, like, well, you know, we're, we're TTT because it's easy to say. Do you have an easier way to say it or do you always have point click care? Uh, it's actually, um, it's, we, we decided to go with that because it's a tongue twister and it kind of breaks the ice with a lot of people. And so people want to shorten it to PCC. It's like no chance we're doing that. I want to see people fumble it. So it's uh, nice. You actually did really well. I was hoping you'd kind of, you know, you get your tongue tied a bit there, but uh, you did great. So what, well what, done. What, what you didn't see is the amount of time I practiced it to make sure that I didn't do it, you know? Um, well, if we're going to talk about non-PCC, that doesn't sound right at all. We're going to talk about point, click, care. Uh, and I the whole time why don't you just start us off with the creation story please fill us in oh gosh and where do we start oh, oh you know jump in if it starts to get a little long but um <laughs> you know i feel like i've told the story so much if you haven't heard it before hopefully it comes off well but um yeah i mean i go back to the beginning and you know i'll age myself a bit here but we're, we're talking the 90s right and and for anybody who graduated in the 90s uh, as I did, you know, graduated from Western and computer science. You did. Yeah. Right. So, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, yeah. where can I get a job and who do you look to? And so what did I do? I looked to my mom. Well, guess mm -hmm. what? My mom was in the business. She was helping her management company kind of in distressed nursing homes, kind of get back and, and operate more successfully and kind of looked out and said, Hey, mom, you think you can get me a job? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I can find a job for you. Mm -hmm. Next thing you know, I'm working in the industry and, you know, brother Mike did the same thing. And he ended up selling software in the industry. Mm. Interesting enough, <laughs> the uh, we were on a collision course. So I was using the software he was selling. Well, guess what? It was total crap. So <laughs> I'm on the other side. Uh, I'm in a nursing home chain in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching the clinicians use the software. And, and the reason I know this is I actually was on a, a, a floor with residents. I happen to have a residence room. They weren't in there with me, by the way. I actually mm -hmm. had my office there. Had my own washroom, envy of all my friends, young guy, and I'm watching <laughs> the clinicians and I'm, you know, having tea and coffee with the residents in the day. And those what I'd say were my formative years. And so I'm kind of learning the business from the inside. I'm seeing how the software works. I'm seeing how it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is a disaster. And I will tell you, most people go into care largely because they care about doing what they want to do, which is caring for people. And mm -hmm. technology was awful. 
Mm-hmm. And so there, you know, there is kind of this, this perfect storm. It really was a storm where I was on my way to my downtown office. I ended up stopping halfway there. Mike had an office in Mississauga mm-hmm. and winter storm kind of got there. And, you know, we started talking a little bit and Mike's like, yeah, you know, I think we can do something. This would be really cool. So next thing you know, Mike goes into his office. He comes back out. He brings out his ledger book. And as you can imagine, young entrepreneur, he's written it in pencil. And he's like, okay, dude, if I just scratch out a few zeros here, I can afford you for a few months. But if you're not carrying your own weight in three months, you're out of here. So what do I do? I'm like, holy shit. So I go to my boss. I'm like, here's the deal. My other boss, not my wife. My boss at the time. And I'm like, here's the deal. This software using is shit. I need to go to the other side to fix it. And he's like, uh, okay, you sure? I'm like, yeah, no, nah, my brother's got my back. We're all good. Mm-hmm. Next thing I do is I call my wife and I go, Carrie, here's the thing. So I quit my job. I'm going to start a business with brother Mike. We're going to go fix things in long-term care. And uh, if it doesn't work, we'll just move back in with mom. <laughs> and she goes, holy shit, this better work. So and no I pressure. Mom, don't get me wrong. But it's, you know, you know, that was kind of the beginning. And interestingly enough, the individual that I worked for in the nursing home, the, the chain, a gentleman by the name of Bill Delane, he was our chair for 20 years. And so he partnered with us and we worked together. And uh, it, it was just, a, you know, that's kind of how the story began. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, there's a lot of, you know, if you went and did your MBA, it was a perfect storm of where not to go and build a business, right? So I think it's a little bit of, people call it courage. I call it stupidity, luck, timing, all of the above. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how it started. That is awesome. Well, can I, can I ask how long, how long before you jumped off with uh, with with Brother Mike into the next that that journey there? How long were you at the um, at the care homes? Uh, how long were you working there? Well, it felt like it was about twenty years, but it's really only a couple of years. Um, so it was a couple of years. Okay. Well, the, the reason why I ask is, was it necessary to have worked there to really understand the problems that you were facing and why that software, you know, wasn't really meeting the needs? Like, did that help having that, you know, that one-two punch of Mike seeing it from one perspective, um, and, you know, the zeros on one side, and you seeing it from the human <laughs> side, and then meeting yeah. in between? Did that that was that really helpful in that journey? It was meaningful. I mean, informative. And I think Mike on the other side is he's looking at commissions. What does he care? Right. I'm doing great. I'm selling software. It's like, yeah, next, next. And there really wasn't a better alternative to be quite honest. And so it was, um, I think being in it and feeling it and seeing it and understanding your customer and understanding their capability to consume and use and manage. I mean, I would go to the different, I mean, I'll tell you, it sounds crazy. I was, I was a Novell network administrator. I'm setting up networks i'm i'm putting in you know cabling these nursing homes i'm setting up these servers i'm having this stuff run things were stuck in closets you know getting dusty shutting down tapes were being backed up they had no idea how to use the solution and so it wasn't so much that they weren't capable it's just it was so complicated Mm. it wasn't really designed around what their needs were and so i think unless you really walk in their shoes and see what they're doing and are alongside them Mm. you don't really understand the problem you're trying to solve Mm-hmm. And for us, I, that was kind of the, that's what kind of launched us into, there has to be a better way. And mm-hmm. like, all of a sudden, it's, I know a better way. And this is around 99. If you remember, there is very few companies doing anything on the web. Mm-hmm. And that's when he said, we think we can deliver it over the internet. So the, let, let me just, let's start with the concept. Mm-hmm. We think <laughs> we can move all of your healthcare records on the internet, which mm-hmm. was a fad at the time. Mm-hmm. and we're going to you know move it all in the cloud and you're going to not just you're going to pay us forever uh what like think of that sale like mm-hmm. well i have the software if you guys do something wrong i'll just keep it i'll run it i don't really need you guys and now it's like listen you're going to subscribe to it forever 
We're going to hold on to your records, manage it for you, and deliver it to you over the internet, of which nobody really thought would continue. At the time, the only other company we knew that was doing it, actually there were two, Siebel mm -hmm. uh, and Salesforce.com were the yeah. only other ones doing it. And I think actually our point quick care name somewhat evolved from something that uh, started in, in salesforce.com. I think it was no click software or whatever it was, mm -hmm. you know, point click close, I think is what they had on their website. So <laughs> we'll, we'll credit them with kind of the beginning of the name. Well, that's amazing. I mean, I, that, that was going to be one of my questions is when did you recognize this is SaaS? I mean, this is way before anyone knows what SaaS is and how do you sell SaaS when it's not SaaS? Just like what you said, like, yeah, by the way, it's a subscription. Oh, it's not a one-timer, but we're going to support you, you know? Yeah, I talked to people about the the sale of the like what it was to sell back then versus today. Today, you talk about value and the impact we're going to have. You don't really talk about the underlying tech. Mm -hmm. There's just kind of an understanding and kind of a, a an expectation things will work. But you know, think about bandwidth back in the day and the rural bandwidth and technology and is this going to work? And I, you know, I, I guess I'll start with I was on one floor. There's we had I, we uh, we had made it. I think we almost had a thousand square feet for the office, mm -hmm. right? Mike was on the other floor, maybe 2,000 square feet. And I'm, we're kind of going back and forth. And I'm like, Mike, refresh your browser. Refresh your browser. And he's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, it changed. I'm like, yeah, type something in. It's like, oh, what? And he's freaking out. And I'm like, oh, we can really do this. And that was the moment where, like, we can change things. So what did Mike do? Like, he literally ran out. There's a county home um, out kind of in London area. And they were like, gosh, we really – you know, he was committing to another piece of software. Like, you know what? We actually have something else for you. Mm -hmm. It's like, what? And we've been kind of busy working on some stuff. It's like, well, talk to whole, the whole story. I just told you about he's communicating. It's, you know, it's the, um, uh, just a, you know, a group of kind of rural folks coming together in the community and in for this, um, uh, community home. Mm -hmm. And, uh, <laughs> he goes, listen, I know this sounds really weird and sounds like a tall tale, but I'll tell you what, if we don't have this stuff up and running, for you so you can do your billing at the end of next month we'll do it for you so that was the beginning of and they're like you know shook hands got it done mm -hmm. next you know you know we're busting ass trying to do it. And when i say we mike makes the promises and i was delivering on them back in the day <laughs> and uh i had you can just imagine i'm sitting programming at my desk i've got the server under me which is also my programming machine and the database <laughs> and everything else and i'm building and literally you know, by the time that came, we actually were able to deliver the software, but it was literally running on a laptop under my desk. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting this call one afternoon as they're doing their billing and they're like, hey, our system's down. And I kind of look over and I kicked the, la the the tower over and it turned off <laughs> and all of our customers were out. And I'm like, holy shit, felt like pretty raw stuff back in the day. But yeah. Oh. But you know, those days were so romantic because I mean, I was I was doing the same thing. I mean, I I I started my first startup in '98, so same 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 sort of game. And I remember yeah. just simple things that were so taken for granted by these you know yeah. these soft these soft kids these days. Because I mean, <laughs> even things like downloading what was it like Oracle Six or something, whatever it was, you know, it was only a couple hundred megabits. But I had to go to UBC to download it because you know my my fast internet would take six days and it still would take forever to download like you know just simple things were like hey i just need to start the software i mean it's it's a it's such a beautiful world now oh my gosh the things you think about now versus then i i remember thinking about how thick is our client how thick is our interface going out you know can we mm -hmm. can we really kind of get more efficient on our html so it's like one packet versus 20 like how can we minimize that because you're right they their consumption rate across many users and access we ended up bumping into issues from usability because they just didn't have bandwidth and if we tried to throw across what we throw across today it's like there is no chance this stuff would work so the engineering was in the thinness of our ability to deliver over the internet 
which actually seems like it's not, you just don't think about those. You think about a lot of other things. You don't think about that. No, it's funny. The second you started grammar, I'm like, oh, the old thin client days. And he said thin. Like, it's, it's exactly <laughs> how you, you, you architect it, right? Like, you kind of build a receptacle, like a much more of a receptacle, you know, to, to kind yeah. of hold everything. And then, and then the daddy goes through the pipe, and then you hope it gets there, especially when you think about old, you know, uh, I don't want to call them old folks. What, what's the cor- correct way of calling it? Pardon me. I, I want to say it properly with respect. It's, well, they're actually know? old people. Older people. I'm starting to move into that category. Yeah, I mean, me we too. call it uh, long-term care home, senior care. Um, uh, that's roughly, I would say, what we call it. Okay, but 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 back then, I couldn't imagine the investment for the for for the individuals that were being that were being housed there was was internet. Like that was probably a very very you know low priority. I, I I'm pretty sure you know those who were were 85 in the 90s were not asking for their email access. So um, oh gosh, no, no. I mean, yeah, I was. Those are very different days, and I you know as you kind of look back on those, and they're fun stories, and we talk about it. And we'll get into some other stuff later, Chris. But mm-hmm. as I kind of look back on those, it you know kind of time erodes memory. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. were really tough, really, really hard days. Of and I course. think, you know, there's kind of that instant gratification kind of generation of like, gosh, like it took us 25 years to build this business. And it mm-hmm. was a grind every step of the way in the early days. I think we got to a bit of a snowball and ran faster later with a lot of great people around us. But mm-hmm. those early days as an entrepreneur, you're convincing your buddy you went to college with, university with, you're trying to get your friends. And, you know, I, I love these people, but largely they're kind of, you know, they're not professionals. It's like, hey, can we get something done here? And they're super average people. Uh, <laughs> then we finally started hiring real professionals, which is awesome. That changed uh, our trajectory. But um, but it was just, you know, you're kind of, um, those days were hard. They were long. They were challenging. And as much as you go back and try to reminisce about how wonderful those days were, um, I don't want to have somebody kind of walk away thinking, gosh, it like entrepreneurial ism is easy and it's like everybody does it and everybody wins and there's no losses like it is it is hard it's hard on the body it's hard on the lifestyle it's hard on relationships um it's a grind and i just think you know if you you know the one thing i would tell you and i like this about us and we locked into that as well was you know i think what kills a good startup is good funding right you have (laughs) to be gritty right and you have to know how to fight you have to know how to prioritize and there's no better way to prioritize than when you don't have any money (laughs) it's not strong that was different completely but but yeah but you know you hire for the cheap like just kind of like what you're saying i mean it's, well, it's, i guess it's just it's a different journey right like it's how how, how fast you want to get there is is really what it is um and how i mean especially because you're talking the dot-com years so hey what you're making five bucks you must be worth 200 million dollars so oh, totally yeah oh. and, then, and then somehow getting through the dot bomb right like how do we we were all kind of i mean you're in that phase too it's like hey we're all gonna get rich everything's great and, <laughs> Um, you know, what's funny about that is we, you know, there was kind of a short fuse on like, gosh, let's, let's get this done and go like everybody else. And then what's interesting about our business and for anybody who's listening and you get into whatever your passion is, and we developed a real passion for solving a problem in our space mm-hmm. and got committed to it and fell in love with it and have scars and, you know, mm-hmm. blood, sweat and tears into it. And so we've been at this for 25 years with the same amount of passion as we started with. Amazing. And I'm so glad it didn't kind of turn over the way it did because it's been kind of a lifelong commitment and just a really exciting journey for us to be on. For sure. And, and, and rewarding when you think about the, the people that you're serving, you know, not only those serving, you know, not, not only just, you know, the, oh, the, the, the elderly who, who need the love and care, but also those who are serving them that, that want to have, I mean, they, they want to be there. They need to be there to help, you know, these people that, you know, that, that, you know, they're just lovable people. And at the end of the day, you're facilitating their ability to offer that extra layer of care, which is, which is super cool. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I've used this story before. I'll use it with you. Um, and so people can get kind of a visual on, on what we do. And I think, you know, as you experience healthcare in whatever country you're in, it's really one person doing a verb to another, right? Generally, the person doing the work is the lowest paid person in any job in either or any country. Mm-hmm. And so they're deciding, do they work for McDonald's, Target, or the nursing home or long-term care home, right? And these are the people who are taking care of the vulnerable population that need it. Mm-hmm. And we think about our mission, and that is, gosh, if we can create a, you know, minimize the gaps in care, inform care providers around the individual that not only just know what they need, but what they want, and actually can take care of them in an informed model and ensure that around the clock, everyone's informed. If I, I don't know if you've had this experience, but if you're in a hospital and you're having surgery and there's a shift change and you don't know who gave a med or not gave a med and somebody comes to get, like, there's some bad things that can happen oh, okay. with a rare, really well-staffed kind of facility. That's mm-hmm. not the case in long-term care homes, right? And so bad things can happen if you don't really give them and provide them with really good systems, good information and allow them to, to do, you know, to, to do what they came there to do, which is largely take care of people and technology just can't get in the way. And that's kind of been our mantra from the beginning. For sure. And, and, you know, I mean, I, I think about this daily because my, the old, the, 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 the care home that my grandfather uh, actually passed away and it's right next to my kids. One of my daughters, or one of my daughters, my daughter, there's only one of them, um, my daughter's school. So I go buy it like this morning and all that. And I mean, he, he, I just remember going there. I, so when I was at UBC, he, he moved in there and it was a really tough decision for us because I mean, he was a person of very, I mean, elegant background. He, he was the president of the Canadian Medical Association. I mean, he had, you know, and then all of a sudden, hey, you know what? You're kind of slowed down a little bit. We, we weren't able to take him. Like he slowed down quite a bit. So we had to put him in this place. And I just, I would visit him twice a week because I was living at UBC at the time. It was relatively close. And I just wanted to make sure that he had a drive around Stanley Park or, you know, a place to talk or drop him by his church just to, you know, to show him the garden that he, you know, my, my grandmother was buried in and the, the whole bit. And just to see the facility and the challenges that are in there. I mean, he was getting robbed every day, you know, things like that. To know that there's someone like you that was trying to make that a better environment. Um, it's, it's it, you know, I, I thank you personally, because um, it was it was a real challenge for us to put him in that type of environment. And I bet you every single person who has to make that incredibly difficult decision, um, you know, wants to make sure that there are facilities that have the you know, the place for dignity and the place, the tools for it. And the fact that you're able to provide those tools at scale, you know, again, I, I salute that thinking, you know, that, you know, what every family must go through with that difficult decision. So, you know. yeah, you're very kind, Chris. I, I mean, in the fact that you kind of were able to be part of that and, and made the time, that's not true in a lot of families. And it's sad, sad to know that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it is, you know, we, we think a lot about, you know, if you look at both ends of, you know, cradle to grave, we spent a lot of time in the early years and right but as they get older, they have similar needs and yet they're somewhat forgotten and really important individuals that have a story and they have a lot of history and they're, they're important members of society. And I, I think we, we do find a way to forget a little bit. And so for those of us who are lucky enough to have parents or people who care about age, you know, how do we make sure we have a great place for them to do that gracefully with dignity, with the support and help that, that they want and need. And so, so those are, you know, there's a lot of stories. I think we, what I love about it when I think about our mission, we're ahead, a lot of people can connect with that. And that helps us in a variety of ways because it's just, it's easy to get out of bed and do the things we do because we yeah. know the impact we're having in the world. Oh yeah. And I, and I imagine the people that are, you know, true ESG type, you know, the ones who want to make an impact because people don't, you don't, you don't work at a job just for, just for money. I mean, well, some people do, I guess, but you know what? I bet you they're not happy um, <laughs> or they're super happy on the beach because, you know, they, they, 
I don't want to say it the wrong way, but just kind of hoard out their lives instead of doing something that they found value in. Um, and par pardon me for putting it that way, but I'm just going to put it that way. Um, but, you know, when you find things that you're mission driven, and again, you know, you have 1500 plus employees, um, you know, that are mission driven. I mean, how could they not want to get people rallying behind that? Um, well, you know what, let me, well, let me talk about the employees. I mean, what was it like? I mean, you, 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 well, People don't understand, like, like when you start hiring and you start not knowing people and you have to develop these processes to do it, well, what was it long, or how long, Barry, how long did it take for you to hire maybe the first 100, the first 500, then the first 1,500, and what sort of changes had to be put in with each jump? Yeah, interesting you picked those numbers. Um, I, I think the first 100 is probably, it felt like it took forever to get there. Um, mm. If that wasn't eight years, it was somewhere in that time frame. It, it mm. took a little while. Um, and it, you know, it, it, I would say the interesting part about that is, and for any founder, you'll struggle through this. It was, um, it's that next stage where you actually don't know everybody's name in the business. Um, and when you think about what's really important for you as a startup, what's really important for you as a, as an entrepreneur is being available, accessible, inspiring, driving, being in the shit with everybody, right? You're not, you can't be in your ivory tower, right? That's just, that just doesn't work. And so, you know, being there with them, you know going through the battles with them, traveling with them, you know, doing more than they do and taking the bullets. Like that's what, that's what you need to do to run a, run a good mm -hmm. business. And I would say uh, that was kind of the first eight years. I think it was probably 15 years before we hit a thousand. I think 1500 is probably six years ago, mm -hmm. uh, five or six years ago, give or take. And so, um, so it, yeah, I mean, it just, it, it did feel like a bit of a blur, but, um, but I think it was the most names I could remember, I think was 240, which is incredible. Years, I remember that. But it was like, at that point, I'm like, holy shit, we're hiring people. I don't know them. And this is really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And what's even more uncomfortable is people tend to know your name. Yeah. It's easy to remember one person. It's tough to remember everyone. For sure. And so it's like, hey, guy, uh, nice to meet you. And it's like, well, we met 18 times already. I'm not that bad. But it's like, oh, man, you feel <laughs> awful. Of so, yeah, I mean, that was, um, but I, as you kind of talk about that, what I think is really important, we can talk more if you like about it, is is the importance of culture. Yeah. Uh, you talk about mission and you talk about purpose and you talk about those that are mercenaries that may come in and, yeah. and it's a bit of how do you filter that out so they don't come in. Right. And not everyone's mission driven. Everyone has a purpose. Uh, all purposes are valuable. If it means, if it's meaningful to them, we happen to have a good one, but mm -hmm. everybody comes here for a different reason. And I think end of the day, it's really culture. Culture for us has made the difference. Yeah. There's a lot of smart people in the world. A lot of smart people, a lot of people smarter than us. I promise you that a lot of people <laughs> work harder than us, but in terms of valuing people and coming together as a team and demonstrating like a ridiculous outcome. I use this, I use this analogy with the team. Like we had a team, a leadership team that was super average, like actually not that smart. Let's just say that. And as we came together, I would sit around the room and say, there's nobody else I want to go to dinner with and shoot the shit with and have fun with and talk about the business than this group at this table. Mm -hmm. And my number one job is to support the hell out of every one of you. And have your back and do anything that's necessary for all of us to do better together. And when you have that rhythm, you have that cadence, you have that connection. It's a really tough thing to beat, right? It's not about one person being smarter. It's not about one person having all the answers. It's about going to battle together, battle together and knowing that you have each other's backs. That is, mm -hmm. that's an easy thing to say. It's a really hard thing to do. And it's a really hard thing to keep as you grow and kind of change leadership as you roll. So mm -hmm. I, I can't. And, and that'll come into why for us, I think, you know, I've talked to you about this. We were majority owners of the business for the longest time. And I think if, if you go back into the early 2000s, mid to even late 
2010-11, there was not a lot of appreciation for the investment one would make in culture because it was like, we don't understand the ROI there. Let's just put more to the bottom line and let's sell this business. It's like, no, we're in for the long term. We want to invest in our team. They matter to us. <laughs> and I, you know, a lot of people say this, this came pretty naturally to us. It was like, honestly, like we really care about our team. We should invest in them in a variety of ways. We should make the environment great for them. What do they want? And if we can't do that for them, what's the likelihood they get on the phone with our customers who are in a really challenging environment have a smile on their face and want to help them and really want to be a good partner. If I treat them like shit, they're going to treat, it's like, it's not that hard. And I don't know why people struggle with that, but it's the easiest equation in the world. It can never be transactional. Like it has to be thought out ever. And, 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 and with the culture, everyone has to buy into it too. And if, if they don't buy into it, especially on mass, you have to figure out, well, things have changed then. How, how do we, how do we basically bag this you know, put put it put put it together, document it, and start saying, "Hey, this was this." I mean, I remember I remember when I founded this company, and one of them uh, had a fellow in from Seattle, and he said, "Oh, this is the best stage because you can define culture." And it's just like what you said, because it was just my brother and I working together prior to that. I'm like, "Oh, what does that mean?" I mean, that sounds like why are you so excited about that one part? But then when you start hiring, you know, ten or twenty or fifty, you start going. Oh, okay. Yeah. You, I mean, just like what you're saying, it's, it's so important to, to get people going the same way and also recognize that, you know, again, it's not transactional. It is, I'm doing, I'm putting you in this role because I trust you and I love you and I want you to succeed and I'm going to do what I can to help you succeed. Um, it's, it's, it's super important. It's, it's super I'll important. Say, well, I'll, I'll share a story that may not please. be super popular. I'll probably get kicked <laughs> for doing it, but um, I do think, you know, I will say, and then I'll get into the story. Mm-hmm. I will say what's interesting and, and for founders, as you think about it, there is a size at which your influence and your being available and you know walking through, you know it's a little tougher in a remote environment, but being around, being connected, and having those relationships, you can, you can have that culture evolve and and be kind of just felt. Mm-hmm. As you start to scale and you get beyond your interacting with everyone all the time, you actually have to be, you have to institutionalize it, you have to write it down, you have to have your kind of, mm-hmm. you have to talk about it, you have to educate it, you have to have behaviors and expectations that without getting too corporate in, in policy-based, it's, mm-hmm. there's some expectations that are meaningful and you have to write them down or you're going to lose it. Yeah. It's so easy to lose. And and I would say we were, this is a story I'll tell you about. Um, I actually, gosh, I think it was, I don't know, maybe 09, maybe it was 08. Mm-hmm. I, um, I ended up talking to a reporter for the first time. I'd never done it before. And I actually thought it was just a nice guy wanted to talk to me about stuff. Well, clearly he had a, <laughs> he had an angle oh, and I just started crazy. shooting the shit and, and I, um, He's talked to me about how do you hire? I'm like, well, we have a mafia hiring theory. He goes, well, what the hell is that? I'm like, well, basically we give people a referral fee. You know, like we'd ask them to bring their friends in. If they feel like they vouch for them, they come in. And, you know, if they work out great and if they don't, we show up with a bag of quarters at the front door. Like it's not going to, you know, and he's like, oh my God. I'm like, listen, we care about the customers you serve. This is so bloody important to us. Don't give us like, you know, somebody who's not going to give a shit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's about impacting lives of parents and the people we care about. And so anyways. I show up at a demo at one of the largest top five chains in the U.S. and talking to them and they're like, uh, hey, everyone, I'm Dave. I just want to, they're like, actually, Dave, it's okay. We all know you. I'm like, well, how do you know me? It's like, well, we printed out the interview we had with uh, this company and, uh, you know, there's a couple of things in there we really liked. And they're like, That's, you know, just because they're like, I love that you care and you have passion about our industry. And it was actually celebrated. And it's like, That's oh, awesome. my God. So that, that was my awesome. intro to how to how to give a terrible interview, but it actually worked out. <laughs> so your PR team was probably like, uh, uh, you know, that's part of it is we didn't have one, that's right? Cool. There was no HR, there's no PR, there's no right. You scramble through stuff, and 
what makes sense today, we didn't even know back then, right? It was pretty raw. Yeah. But you know, you used one word that we use, which I thought was so interesting, which is mercenaries. We don't like mercenaries because we're the same. Oh that's actually gosh. one of the questions we ask. Because again, that's where, again, I get into that transactional thing. Because the other thing that people don't understand is when you have culture, it affects everything. It affects how you sell. It affects how you hire. It affects, you know, your, your HR. I mean, it affects everything across the board, how you, how you get the message across. Um, but if you have mercenaries, they don't care about that. They just say, eh, just, you know, let me do my nine yeah. to six or nine to five and I'm out. Well, that's not how tech works. It's sometimes tough to pick up, Chris, but I think, you know, if you look at kind of this hot market this last six months, and I think we all recognize actually the last year and it's all kind of overnight feels like we fit the high flipped hiring freezes and in layoffs and everyone's trying to get to cash positive, right? Cause there's no cheap capital left, right? What you've seen happen for that period of time where you couldn't fill seats and, and that was the limitation that was affecting your growth, right? If you didn't have people, you couldn't grow. So people are chasing, chasing. And, and I think we did a nice job and I, I think everyone will kind of, this will resonate is if you chase that individual, it's like, well, I'm going to work remote. I want this. I want that. I need a bigger salary. I need, I need, and I'm going to, you know, work in some remote area and never come to the office. Like, well, what happens when things return to normal or the next big offer comes in? They don't give a about you, right? It's like, no. I'm gone. And so it's like, yeah. you know, listen, I, I'm happy to see people do well, believe me. But it's like, if you're not really committed in some way, it's, uh, you know, the retention is just going to, and, and people are going to see it, right? It's a bit of a cancer that runs through the organization. Um, and you just got to, you know, you got to st stick to your principles, right? It may mm -hmm. be, and everything's in context, right? Read whatever book you want, go wherever you want to go, but it has to be what's right for you. For example, I'm not going to do what Elon Musk did. I'm not going to order people back to work or basically you're fired. Like, oh my God, first of all, it's interesting you did that, but mm -hmm. not that's just not something we would do. That's not our culture. Easy, it does. Yeah. <laughs> Got to make sure you make the right ones, right? So, yeah. Oh yeah, that's really, true. <laughs> like, oh my God. So, um, so there's a lot in there, but, um, but yeah. No, I, I, I completely, completely appreciate that. Well, let's talk a little bit about the investments because you have raised a, a a serious, serious uh, rounds over the years. Um, what strategy has changed with these rounds? Like, did you have a strategy for the first time? Like your, your, I mean, do they even call it C and A and B back then? Um, they just yeah. called it investment back then. You know, safe didn't exist. None of those things existed back in, 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 in the 2000s, really? I think, uh, until the mid 2008 area. What, what was, was there a strategy or a theme or a thesis that you had for each round? Or did you just say, hey, we need money. Give us money. Uh, you know, it's interesting. We we have this, uh, this, we are very focused on this deferred gratification, right? Which is mm -hmm. like, never take money unless you absolutely need it. Mm -hmm. um, run a good business, make good decisions, move forward. And so you kind of, you know, I think we undercapitalized the business initially, but in the in 99, I think we took some neighbor's money, you know, some track coaches money, some friends money, uh, buddies, neighbors, aunts and uncles, parents, mm -hmm. like, and it, it was, we raised maybe half a million bucks of which I feel like we got nothing, maybe half of that because the broker ran around with a bunch of it. Yeah, and cool. it felt like a lot at the time, it covered a couple of payrolls basically. Mm -hmm. um, and so it didn't really do a lot for us, but it, it got some other people invested in the business, um, which was really nice. And it was basically, they thought they were just kissing 20 grand away. Well, mm -hmm. I said 20 grand turned into like multiple millions today, which Good is for awesome. Them. Good for um, them. And they stuck through. It's like, I can give my nephews what? Oh my God, here you go. <laughs> It's a gift. Um, and so that didn't really do a lot for us. We just thought that it was like, hey, we need a little money and then we'll IPO and we'll be done. Um, what we did do though, is we kind of ran the business. We made good decisions. Mike spent a lot of time with, um, with equity players talking about the business, where we're headed, what we're going to do next year. 
And it's a really good advice for anybody that's kind of growing a business and there's a lot of increase coming in. Think about your business like you're talking to a public market. You know, how are you going to do? What do you think your booking is going to be? What always under promise and over deliver. And every single time we mm -hmm. talked to them for about five or seven years before we did a raise, we hit the number or exceeded it every single time. So they always do this. They'll call you either quarterly or annually and go, hey, how'd you do? Remember you said this? Oh, okay. And they make notes, copious notes. They know exactly mm -hmm. what you're doing. And you kind of, they get a routine of, is this a management company that they know how to perform and get it done? And mm -hmm. they kind of have this assessment of, are you capable and will you be a good partner growing? Mm -hmm. And so, so then we got to about 2010 and we said, you know, we've, at that point, we still had personal guarantees on our homes, right? So I was, wow. you know, um, you know, I still struggled to pay for gas. We paid ourselves almost nothing. I think it was mm -hmm. maybe making 60 grand at the time, which felt I think when I graduated in 95, I was making 50 grand. So it's like, I really nailed it. Right. And so we were the last people to get paid. Um, and we live, you know, uh, and it was, it was easy to go from there. Then I, I don't know if I could do that now, <laughs> but where I was at the time, it was easy and it kind of depressed. It kept, you know, I hate to say this to my team that was there at the time, but it, it kept our, our cash flows, our expenses, our, our salaries down because we were down. Right. So it, yeah. we probably underpaid a little bit to be quite honest. Um, mm -hmm. and we said, gosh, you know what? Do we want to be a lifestyle business or do we want to be a growth business? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You have to make that decision. It's very easy to fall into the lifestyle business is easy and successful people put themselves in uncomfortable situations and they feel good about it. Yeah. And so, well, maybe feel good about it, but they actually <laughs> the ones who made the right decisions. <laughs> yeah. So we, so we finally said, you know what, what's going to happen if we take somebody else's money? Mm -hmm. Like, well, that's going to, that's going to force a level of accountability. that's going to make us uncomfortable, mm -hmm. but they're going to come, they're going to provide a, you know, advisory services are going to be there with us. They're not going to bruise the banana. And we picked the right firm to do that with us. And we're like, and we finally get to reap a little bit so we can actually live and, you know, maybe pay off a mortgage or do whatever. And so it was like, oh my gosh. So it took about 14 years before we had our first meaningful, we took on a minority partner and they are at the table and we just had that accountability run through the business, which was, mm -hmm. which was awesome. And so the, the key there was we didn't want to give up majority. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you why if you're interested, but we, we wanted somebody to come to the table. We wanted to still be in control. And the reason I say that is every other company we had seen get to 25 million or 30 million. Immediately they came in majority, moved the entire business south, gone. And that's why you don't see today any significant scale Canadian tech companies in Ontario, BC, anywhere. Cause they all got stuck south by somebody who had the money that understood how to pay for tech and said, thanks very much. See you later. And we're like, we're not doing that. You just beat my question is why, how did you keep the investor pressure from moving down to the States? Cause uh, you, you, you just, you, you just nailed it. I mean, I, I, I talked to a lot of people. It seems like, you know, like, I mean, there's lots of big Canadian companies that were forced to move down. I mean, even, even things like Grammarly, for example, I use that one as an example, how they, that that's a Canadian company. People are surprised to find that out, out, out of Toronto. I mean, Ukrainian founders, but out, out of Toronto had to move down the Valley. Yeah, they, they all live in um, the, 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 the senior um, founders live in, in BC now. So I, I chat with them every once in a while. Nice. Great, great, great group. Um, but they were forced down there uh, by the investors from, from the sounds of or, or yeah, <laughs> forced being, you know, there's, there's lots of ways you can force someone down there, but it seems like no. right around 
after that, the thesis kind of flipped when I guess maybe some of those American investors started realizing, wow, there's a lot of opportunity up in Canada because of the, you know, the, the, the programs they have, the, 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 you know, it's a good investment environment compared to where, where traditionally it was where, and also, I mean, the decentralization, I guess, of Silicon Valley, um, you know, yeah. flip, flipping it out. But uh, you see, that, is, that, is that the reason why, though, that you decided not to take a majority? Just that, that sole reason? And I applaud you for it. You know, we got our Maple Leafs here. So oh. I definitely appreciate it. <laughs> Let's be honest. I mean, nobody like somebody else telling them what to do. And we were in the, in the position where we could actually, we had no interest to cash out. We just wanted to capitalize the business and grow. Mm-hmm. And we felt like we were the right stewards of the business. And we wanted them along to be helpful and capitalize and be another kind of adult in the room, if you will. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting, I think there's, there's two things that I think drew most self. Um, one was there's a lack of appreciation for the technical talent we have in Canada. Mm-hmm. It is unbelievable. I mean, we... It's a low cost resource in relative terms to anywhere else in North America, like incredible. Completely. And I think there's a lack of appreciation for that. So the assumption is, well, you can't do it. You're not smart enough, right? You've never seen it before. You're not scared. like, what, what? And then I think the other part was, is very hard to find any investors that understood the tech community that had enough behind them to invest in companies like ours. Mm-hmm. So we had to deal with U.S. investors. That's just mm-hmm. the only way to do it. They could understand an, uh, an EBITDA valuation, but they couldn't understand kind of a multiples valuation. Yeah. And so they just didn't get it. So there's, I think the, um, those two things were probably, were probably the reason why. Yeah, no, that's, it's interesting. I mean, I have a very similar thesis. I mean, I, I, I say this a lot. The one thing that kind of makes me go a little bit about the, uh, the, the culture in San Francisco is the first question they ask when I introduce, you know, myself and down in the Valley a lot. And they're like, oh, how much investment do you take? I'm like, man, we're a business. Oh, why not? Because I like making my own decisions. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's like, you know what? I like to steer the ship without, you know, someone that's only been there for a day. Maybe yeah. they show up every, you know, every quarter or six months and say, oh, you should do this. And by the way, I'm an investor, so do this. And it's like, that that, that doesn't even affect our bit. Like, why would we want to do that? So, yeah. uh, no, I really appreciate your thesis, your, your thesis around that. Um, well, you know, in, in August 2021, you took over uh, the reins as CEO, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, from, with your brother, Mike. What, what was the transition like? I mean, I work with my brother every every day. And so I know, you know, the dynamics of that um, or what it can be, at least. What, what was it like to take over the, to, 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 for that transition? Yeah, I think um, it was actually it's interesting. Mike's been doing that job for about 25 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I would say it, I'll be serious in a minute, but honestly, I was pretty much doing his job anyway, so there's no real change. <laughs> He's uh, not listening, right? Okay. I'm going to send this to him when we're done. But, okay. um, but in all honesty, I think, you know, a lot of us have a lack of appreciation for what, how stressful that job is. And I think, yeah, I was partnering with him. I was doing a lot of the job. We're, we're good partners together. We have a synergistic brain, like left brain, right. We just were able to get a lot done together because of the, just the trust we have in each other. Yeah. And um, in the belief in each other and just like there is without question, I know Mike's not going to do anything. It wouldn't be good for both of us, the business and vice versa. So it's like, yeah. that's a really hard thing to get and to have that in a brother makes it so much easier. Mm-hmm. And I think moving into that role for me was, gosh, like I really want to lead this business. I'm excited about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a couple of reasons behind it. You know, to be, to be honest, I think Mike and I in the same room doing the same thing doesn't add a lot of value to the business from a diversity of thought perspective. Okay. And so it's like, gosh, Mike, like if you can get out and connect with other companies and, and do that more actively and learn and bring patterns back to us with the experience you have, great. And two, he really wanted to go and help Canadian tech and be involved and be supportive and help all of these entrepreneurs grow. And he's seen a lot of things and he's really good at it. Go do that. And so 
So that's been a great change for us. It's allowed us to create room in the organization for others to grow, which is also great. Important. And I think it's, you know, for me, the quick story, it's a hard job. Um, I'm more stressed. I drink more. I sleep less. I'm like gaining weight. My golf game sucks. It's like everything Brother Mike is. And I'm like, damn, I'm turning into him. So uh, as much as it seems, and I would have told you it's like semi-retirement, it's actually the complete opposite for me. It's a challenge. It's a growth opportunity. I'm learning and loving it. And uh, and it's just a new challenge, but super exciting because I feel like you know, it's a, it's a good next step for me to kind of lead the business. So, so it's been a fun transition and, and a little harder than I anticipated, to be quite honest. I bet. I bet. Especially when you've worked together for so long, though, I, I assume, you know, while the title might be there, the, the, the open conversation and everything never goes away in order to, you know, to help, help with decisions, one might say. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, now it's, now he's, uh, he's leading on the board side and he's like, so what the hell is going on with the business? I'm like, are you just, are you kidding me? <laughs> Come to dinner. Come on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I was, I was, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm really excited when you say Mike is, you know, out there actually trying to help Canadian tech, because I mean, that's, that's so needed. And, 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 you know, I read today, and Chris, Chris Albinson, uh, you know, uh, Communitech pointed out that uh, Point Click Care is now part of Team True North. What's that? Yeah, love that. Yeah, Uh, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, Mike and I do kind of partner in some of that stuff. And, and, Again, one of those things where I know he was at the event and, you know, networking and so on. And so I, I hadn't spent enough time really talking to Chris and, and uh, on, on that stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, super excited to just be part of that group and, and be able to be helpful if we can. And, and try not to be, um, you know, I, we're, we're a super humble group. Um, we just feel like, you know, for us. We, we, yeah, we've got a good story. We had good time. We had good people. We had good tech. We were disruptive. Like there's a mm-hmm. lot of things that, you know, confluence of factors that have to come together for things to work. And, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, it could have gone sideways a thousand times. And so, you know, just to be able to share that and talk about the story and it's, it's not, there are a thousand things that can go wrong, but mm-hmm. if you're commit, if I would say the things that probably help these entrepreneurs get through it is you know what to do. Like, you know what problem you want to go solve. Just get passionate as hell about doing that and stop getting distracted by, hey, look at my value. All that's going to do is distract you. Like, stay committed to the mission and run and your team's going to follow. So, you know, Mike's going to, you know, sprinkle some pixie dust around and help some yeah. companies out. And and I think if, if those that are kind of have the time to listen, I think they'll benefit from it tremendously. Um, he's not so old that he's disconnected. I mean, this man knows the shit. So I, I, I would imagine. Well, I, I thought that was just exciting. I mean, also when you see the company's name, and I, you know, I'm just imagining you know you or Mike and you know uh, maybe Jack from Clue. I mean, this is not big egos here. This is people that like you know I can tell you care. Like you know, I mean, oh, God, I, yeah. I, I met you. I mean, when I met you, it was at the C100 AGM. I got was really you know in in uh, uh, Napa, and I was really honored to just happen to sit on the bus next to you when. We went to that uh, the Disney Ranch or whatever it was called. That weird story at that that winery, <laughs> yeah. which which was such a cool awesome. spot, I gotta say. But you know, I instantly thought, oh man, you you know, I instantly knew I needed to have you on the show, and I appreciate you being so because you know, I I was just so intrigued by your by you know your thoughts and all that. But what does the C one hundred mean to you? Why why is it important for you to show up? You and and Mike was there too, right? Or, uh, I mean, both of yeah. you were there. Yeah, yeah why I is think it important Mike... for you to show up? Um, I mean, you know, I don't. I can't say I feel like an elder statesman there and it's kind of a responsibility and opportunity to be helpful and supportive, but I mean, you got, we learn a ton from that too. And so I think it's a little bit of, you know, we're all there to shape that community. We're all there to help each other. And and mm-hmm. I think there are, um, listen, I, we need help. And that's an organization that connects people that are in similar kind of situations. And, 
it's nice to have a shoulder and and other people to talk and not to cry on all the time, but you know, just just other people to connect with that are that are sharing in some of the same things you're dealing with mm-hmm. um, that are unique uh, from our vantage point. And so we yeah. can influence certain things, we can activate things, but you have to do it from a a group of people looking at similar challenges in a similar way. And so if you can group together in volume, you can make a difference independently. It's a bit of a challenge. Mm-hmm. And so just seeing things and, and understanding things and being helpful to each other, I think for me was uh, so far, I'm, you know, I'm starting to work my way in. That was my first conference I went to at C100. Oh, yeah. uh, but we've always been super supportive and, mm-hmm. and I know they're expanding and doing great things. So mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, they're just kind of a, I think a bit of an untapped resource for, for those that, you know, those that don't know them should oh, and yeah. those that know them value them. Oh, completely. And the, the thing that shocks me is, I mean, you go there. I mean, I always consider it like the hoity, the hoitiest of hoity plus me. That's that's kind of what I consider this group to be. But they're there with with like an open heart and open mind and really, you know, values driven about, hey, how can we make Canada the place to be? And when you see that and you recognize, wow, you know, I mean, if this is the States, they'd have paparazzi and stuff of who's here. Um, <laughs> like, literally, it would be that way, you know. And, you know, they're there just to make everyone else have a better opportunity. I, I, I can't do anything more than salute, you know, the, the, the group itself, uh, but also, the, you know, the mission that they've been able to find, um, you know. Yeah, the group's worked hard for that. Chris, oh, yeah. as you know, yeah. and, uh, and it's, you know, it started falling, it's growing. I think it's the mm-hmm. momentum is significant now. Oh, yeah. Um, but it is, you know, we all need help. And I think that's something nobody should shy away from. And, and I think when you get to that group and you have the conversations, everybody's prepared to share whatever they possibly can to be helpful. It's not a competitive environment. It's not a, we can't say this or that. It's like, no. gosh, let's share to help all of us get better. Mm-hmm. And that orientation to the problem is is phenomenal. And so they've done a nice job setting that stage up for us, probably because we were drinking a bit. <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> but, a winery, uh, come on. <laughs> hey, why not? I mean, you know, one in Rome. So they kind of, they really set up some some good sessions to get you away from your, you know, just to be able to kind of have some think time with some peers. It's nice. It, it truly is. It truly is. Well, you know, I, I got to ask one question, because you've been doing this since the, the late 90s, 2000. Yep. If you weren't doing point-click care, what do you think you'd be doing? Oh, that's uh, so. Um, before we kind of had some liquidity event, it would be something. I mean, literally, I came out of university as a comp sci guy. I wanted mm-hmm. to build video games for Sega Genesis, right? But nice. I wasn't qualified enough to get a job. So luckily, <laughs> I ended up here. But but in the end, you know, I'm kind of at a good spot now. I'm like, gosh, what would I really want to do? And I kind of hang things up. And I've always I've always loved being a bit of a barista. Nice. And I'm like, you know what? Have you, do you watch Seinfeld? Have you watched Seinfeld? I, I, I was, you know, again, university in the nineties, come on. Drop on it, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and so for those that don't know it, there's an episode called the soup Nazi. And so let me, mm-hmm. I'm just setting it up. Okay. So I want to open this coffee shop and it's called F U a latte. Right. And so I open whenever I want to open, I'm a barista. And when people come up and say, Hey Dave, I'd like to get a double pump macchiato this. I'm like, yeah, F you. I'm not making that. You want a latte? No, no latte for you next. And, you know, everyone can come up. They don't have to pay for it, but I'll make them whatever I want to make them. And if they ask for a whole bunch, I'm like, get out of here. And then I close at like one o'clock. So I maybe open a few hours. Anyways, I, I've just been joking around about that for a That's long time. Awesome. It's like, gosh, it's just kind of a fun thing. That is well. You know what? You can move to Salt Spring, where my par- where my parents are, because a new Mexican restaurant opened up, but it it only is open from like one to four. It's like, how are you as a business? Close, right? That makes no that makes no sense at all. That makes no sense. Uh, well, well, well. 
The, I mean, the theme of afternoon tea is to talk to wonderful entrepreneurs like yourself to prepare that next generation of Canadian founders. So I've got these two questions that I, that I always ask and I always set up. So, so let me start with number one, if you please, is can you share, and you've already done quite a few, but let's, let's, let's isolate and really focus on one um, piece of advice to help a younger Canadian founder out. Uh, gosh, I mean, there's so many. If I had to pick one, I would say uh, be very careful to give up control. Hmm. Very careful. And I know in some cases it's not optional, but I think there are the trajectory. I mean, you set a course and path when you do it. That is something you don't you don't control your own destiny at that point. Mm-hmm. And so I think the ability, you know, whether you stay in Canada, you get pulled to the like there's so many things that you now don't have decision making power over. And so yeah. um, if you can, I think to me that that would be huge. And, you know, there's lots of kind of uh, angel type investors that want to be helpful. Right. And so you just have to find them out, network, find those people. And, you know, for somebody who's a high wealth individual, the money you're looking for isn't a lot of money. So no. just, you know, don't don't get taken advantage of. Know your worth and be mm-hmm. careful what you give up because you've worked really damn hard to get it. And somebody's going to make a lot of money off your back without doing a whole lot. So that you should is- know that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I think that's 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 really, really helpful. Um, also, if you're the one that's got the vision and you're trying to solve the problem, when all of a sudden you aren't as aligned because you know, you're not the one that's calling at the end. Well, that's going to hurt you too. And I think most investors know that as well, that they don't really want to get in that position either. That's um, true. Yeah. But I'll add to that, Chris. I mean, you, you think about, um, there's a lot, the reason a lot of people came to work for that company, uh, they tend to I mean, you sell yourself every day mm-hmm. as a founder, as a CEO, and your team buys into that, that inspiration, that vision, that kind of, so if you're not kind of directly aligned and excited about where you're headed, and, and maybe you do take a little more and you give up control, but having you steer the ship and be there and be passionate and driving, having you not be there with that same motivation has a negative impact on the team. And it's kind of, it, it spirals out of control. And next thing you know, mm-hmm. you're just kind of, it's robotical and nobody really cares. You lose the culture, you lose the outcome and, and nothing works. And so mm-hmm. we've seen that happen. So there's a, there's a lot of things that can happen if you don't, if you don't remain committed to the business and the position where you feel like you're getting the value that you want and not sure. being kind of coerced into things that don't make sense for you. Yeah. It really is a dance, isn't it? But you, but you also have to realize just like what you said, everyone to be aligned properly they have to make sure that you're aligned properly or, or there's no value. i mean i guess if it's like a d round or an e round where at the end of the day hey we can just kind of get rid of the you know remove the founders we've got a guy you know or a person in, in place that's a different game um but in the early days if you give up too much you're you're, you're it's not even worth playing you know so I think that's sure. I think that's super super helpful. Um, well, you know, it was it was Allison Taylor of one of the one of the um, you know Jane Software, one of the best UX platforms I will say I've ever come across, and I'm a big UX guy. Um, who who shared uh, you and your brother to me as as an entrepreneur that she personally looks up to. So I got to wow. ask you the same. I know that's an honor. That is an honor. Uh, oh. She is fantastic. But I have to ask you: Is there a Canadian entrepreneur, startup, or founder that you personally look up to? You know, it's funny. Um, people always think when you look up, you uh, you look to, to somebody more successful, more more have have had a better kind of outcome. Um, I don't actually look at it that way. In fact, kind of the opposite. There are, um, there are a number of individuals I've met through C100 that are kind of either in smaller businesses or growing that mm-hmm. um, they're dealing with different challenges. And I, you know, every one of them I feel are I, I learn from and uh, have very different stories to tell. And so 
there's, you know, whether it's an entrepreneur or not, um, there's not a single person at any level of our organization. I know I've met that I don't look to learn something from, mm-hmm. but in terms of entrepreneur, I mean, I'll, I'll make it easy for you. There's, there's no question that I think brother Mike has been, mm-hmm. you know, a mentor, a guide, just a great partner along the way. And I know that's kind of a, um, that's an easy one, but I, I truly believe it. I, I, um, I feel like he's just been somebody that's led us to the right place and made a lot of good decisions that quite frankly, I might not have made if it was me. And so, yeah, I've learned a lot and I hope to kind of fill his shoes in a way that he's kind of, he's left some big shoes for me to fill here and I'm excited to do it. But, um, you know, there's been some others along the way, but I I will tell every one of those entrepreneurs that either are listening or kind of, you know, hear, you know, what we're talking about here, Chris is, you know, you have to, you have to learn from and, and contextualize that to what makes sense for you. Mm-hmm. I promise you that everything, like I read Jeffrey Moore stuff all the time. And I think, gosh, everything you wrote, we, I could have written, right. It's like, oh my gosh, we lived that. We saw mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, there's always tweaks. There's always changes that you have to get right for you. So if you have a mentor, I think it's really important. I think a mentor is important for me. Um, mm-hmm. I think for anybody in this space, get a coach, mm-hmm. you know, you need a coach that is really there for you. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. pay them to focus on you mm-hmm. and help you grow and help you learn, help you be, be a better person. So um, I think equally find that mentor, learn from them, develop more. Um, it's a, you never stop learning in this role. And if you oh, do, man. then you shouldn't be in it. So uh, one, one, one million percent, one million percent. Well, we got a little extra bonus uh, advice there too. And good, and good one at that. So I, I, I truly appreciate it. And you know what? I really appreciate that you shared Mike in here. Cause, cause again, I think, I mean, I founded my company uh, with, with my twin brother, actually handsome, handsome David Hobbs. And you have a special relationship with your family that I think it's the old rule, like, hey, if someone's doing the dishes, we're both doing the dishes, you know, like that, that sort of a, you know, it, yeah. no, it's not just one person doing it. And I think once you have that relationship, it's easier to work with each other, you know, when, yeah. you know, and, and you, because the rules are already kind of unspoken, you don't need to talk to them. And when you do, well, you better do it, you know, not with fisticuffs, because that's another brotherly, brotherly thing. But, you know, with, with, with respect and, and admiration and recognition that you're on the same team. So uh, thank uh, you. No, you got that right. I, you know, there's, um, and there's an evolution too, Chris, which, you know, the way we operated when we were 20 years younger, oh my gosh, yeah, 20, I mean, we're, you know, we'd scream at each other, we'd yell, we'd kind of argue to death, right? Mm-hmm. It was such a safe place for us that oh, yeah. we'd walk out, people are like, uh, are you guys going to fight? It's like, no, we're going to the bar to grab a beer. What are you talking about? That was awesome. <laughs> and so we had to learn how to kind of change the way we interact to be, gosh, that's not really effective because people feel like we're going to kill them if they talk. Yeah. So yeah. let's yeah. maybe try to be adults here. And that, that took us about 15 years to figure out, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, there is a way where some of that really works. And, and I think the end of the day, just you have to be in a position to appreciate people. Right. And if you do that, it's just such a positive environment. It, it just it creates the right place where people want to show up and be part of something special with you. And that's the magic. And then you have to work for it. It doesn't just happen. And that is the magic. You know what? I want I want to go out with that sentence. That is the <laughs> magic. This is fantastic. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for, for staying in Canada and making a strong company. Um, you know, in, in a, a national brand that, you know, is not only being big in Canada, but being big in, in the States and showing them how we can do it and giving us a path so we don't need to do that anymore. So I, I really appreciate it. And thank you for sharing your time today. Hey, Chris, great talk, talking with you. I very much appreciate it. And well done with the tongue twister. Blah, blah. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Ahoy, afternoon tea listeners. If you got this far, I assume you like this episode. And that is awesome. Thank you. In such a case, please rate and review Afternoon Tea Podcast and subscribe on 
Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your feeds from. Afternoon Tea is a podcast with a goal to share the stories of Canada's successful tech entrepreneurs in order to prepare the next wave of founders. We do have some great guests lined up for future episodes, but we would love to hear your thoughts too. Please do let us know who you think should be on the show. You can do so by emailing me at podcast at ttt.studio. That is P-O-D-C-A-S-T at T-T-T, that is three T's, dot studio. You will notice there is no dot com because we are that sophisticated. Furthermore, you can find us at social media at T-T-T underscore studios. I look forward to chatting with you soon.